Welcome to episode 689 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Rightio, team, welcome along to episode 689 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James. Oh, how you going, mate? I'm pretty good, Bevan. Yourself? Back in the cycling gear, guys. It's Back cool. in the cycling seen the legs. You can shave them, man. You wax. I've got a 50% off waxing voucher to go and utilise this week. So that what do you, what do you pay for a wax? Uh, sort of 60, 70 bucks or so. Ooh, is, is that 50% 60? off? No, no, that's that's standard, standard price. Probably 60, I think. 60 for legs. And how often do you get done? Pull your mic up not, a little bit. Not that often. Um, so that's the beauty of waxing. 20 minutes of pain for a lot of gain. No shaving in the shower for me. No shaving. No, no hair down the funnel hole. That's right. I took it proudly brought to you by... Extreme Endurance. Your laughing puffer. And Generation Ucam. And if you want to get some Generation Ucam, you can check it out. Well, we'll send you through to the sites later on. But I've got to say, Tim O'Donnell did a good promotion for them at Ironman Kona, didn't he? He certainly did. Smoked. It was strong all the way through the run. So make if, uh, if you want to try something new in your training... Make it you can. Oh, there you go. Good. Uh, we've also got some patrons, John. You go first. Jesper von Selen Hansen, the catcher. We've got Fast Fancy Feet, or Triple F, Rob Dallymore. And Meredith, Big Bopper Bachman. Hello, baby. That was the Big Bopper said that, I think. Was it? Yeah, because remember the movie Buddy Holly? And because they were died in a plane crash, wasn't the Big yeah. Bopper? And I think it's hello, baby. <laughs> nice. There you go. Uh, this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a hot topic of the week. Age group, we've got a great interview coming up. Great we have. So uh, talking a bit of uh, just a whole variety of topics, actually. Uh, so it's going to be also a little bit about UCAN, a little bit about low-carb, high-fat, a little bit about um, what females need to be watching out. So just just a general canvas of, uh, of a whole bunch of opinions. Not opinions, uh, there's a lot of fact. No, this, this, fact. this lady knows her, her stuff. Uh, Coach's Corner, website of the week, Wang of the week. Have we got all those things in there? We have not got a Coach's Corner. No. We have not got a no. website of the Do week. Job, but we mate. have got a Wanger of the week. Do your job. Uh, questions and answers at the end. Jombo. I know we're going to get into main news right now, but we have to talk rugby world cup. Okay. Did you watch the game? I did. We Irish. I feel sorry for you. We down you. Yes, English. Gone down. In fact, for our American the, listeners, what's happening in the world cup now? We're down to the last four teams. Last weekend we played the Irish. This time last year, the Irish did they beat us? No, they beat us last year, yeah. and they were the number one team in the world. Unfortunately for them, they've just gone downhill this year, and they had a, they lost to Japan. I wasn't worried about this game at all, to be honest. No. You know, a little bit worried, but I was quite confident we'd dominate them, and we destroyed them. So it's quarterfinals time. We're into the semis, and I, what did you stay up and watch it? Yeah, bloody hell, so I did. I got up at three thirty a.m. to watch it. What did you? Did, did, why? Well, I was raced. I had a race. I was organising. Oh. I had to be leaving home by five a.m. So your strategy was go to bed, have an early night, get up, watch it. Early. I think I went to bed at ten. Got up at three thirty, watched the game. Got out the door about Ooh, ten to five. How were you uh, feeling on Sunday organize. afternoon? Sunday afternoon, I was getting a little bit sleepy. I was trying to watch the other quarterfinal, which was France playing Wales, and How's I was that, just that nodding was like off. Nine o'clock at night. Yeah, I was just, I was gone burger. Plus, I'd had a few beers. And also, so this weekend we we're playing the Poms. Now, the Poms, arguably, you could say this is the final because you could say uh, the Poms South and Africa, us are the two South best teams. Africa team. are the next best team. You reckon? Yep, definitely. Okay, there you go. Yes, In John. fact, I almost don't want to turn up here next week if England beat us. Oh, do you, you pommy listeners, don't you email us. Criminal. Do not even email us. We don't want to. If you beat us, oh, it's and we beat the Australians in the netball? 
Where you go? Yeah, no. Time goes on, guys. Time goes on. Okay, big news. Or oh, 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 shareholder rights news, John. Shareholder rights law firm Johnson Fistel LLP is investigating potential claims against Wonder Sports Group Company Limited, uh, which is on the Nasdaq as WSG, for violations of federal security laws on or about July the twenty sixth. Of 2019, Wanda sold around 23.8 million shares of stocks in its initial public offering, the IPO, at $8 this year, raising approximately $190 million in new capital. However, since the IPO, the Wanda stock has plunged. On the 15th of October, it was at 386. Since IPO, Wanda Sports Group CEO resigned, and the company reported four poor financial results for the second quarter of 2019. So not good for pro prize money, John. It's not, no, I don't think it's going to have too much of an impact, but you used the word fascinating before, and it, I think it is fascinating what the hell is going to happen with Wanda, um, which does have obviously a direct impact on all of us competing in iron distance races um, as this business kind of evolves and what that's going to mean for Ironman. So um, not, you know, we look at this with interest, but it's not great when anything like that happens in our sport to the, the owners of the business. So, yeah, interesting that there's some, I some murky pro- waters. I think it's probably pretty interesting conversations heaven happening in, it's not under $3.30, John. It's even had another dip recently. Yeah. Um, but I think it's going to be pretty interesting for those in the Ironman world of it, aspect mm. of it, because a lot of them probably thought they were about to print their cash. Mm. You know, because I'm sure a lot of people who work in the business had shares, and you know, you're thinking, okay, the IPOs are going to be eight bucks, and you know, we're bang, bang, bang. And then it just drops in, you know, you've lost 50% straight away. Yeah. You know, so it's, it'd be pretty interesting to, I'd love to be able to speak inside some, get some inside goss from the business. No one's going to tell us, but. And see what's happening with this uh, w, uh, PTO offering that they were trying to buy the business. So. Yeah, we've heard nothing of that, have we? So yeah. time will tell, but um, are we also interested in. Someone who's a geek in this area, can you let us know what your thoughts are? Um, and maybe on their financial reporting and stuff like that. You don't need to call yourself a geek, just a nice person. Who no, but someone who understands financial business, you know, mm-hmm. who can look at this stuff and really get why it's underperforming and so on, you know, because John and I, we have our opinions, often mm-hmm. wrong. Mm-hmm. So, uh, okay, so that's that happening. We've got some other random news, John, the top 50 prize ranking money for the nearing the end of the season in both female and males. So, so Torsten um, collates this, so it's including ITU, Challenge. Now, this um, is prize money only. It's not income. Yep, uh, and a bunch of other sort of key money races. So it does not include everything, and especially for the short course guys, I would imagine that there's quite a bit of other income that they get on the table from doing French Grand Prix, German Bundesliga, etc., etc. So it's pretty similar readings to what we, uh, we've seen in recent years. We, we'll make the, the generalised comment that it's pretty pathetic prize money, but it is similar to what it's previously been in the layer out of the top 10 again seems similar to me in terms of the mix of Olympic distance athletes and uh, and and Ironman athletes almost always you seem to get the world um, series ITU champion coming out on top through all their their money and you normally see the winner of Kona right up there courtesy of almost exclusively from one payday I think it's $130,000 for for Kona and that certainly boosts up your your prize money for the year so Vincent Louis came out on top um, with $189,000 Jan Fredino won $58,000 Mario Mola won $30,000 Javier Gomez $109,000 and Sebastian Keenley $102,000 so they're the only um, five athletes that are in uh, six digits and uh, then just to give you guys an idea 10th place $62,000 20th place was Cam Worth with $40,000 
30th Tim Van Berkel 28,000, 40th Sam Long with 23, and down a 50th place with $20,000 was Cody Beals. So pretty sad state of affairs, um, but we've sort of said the same thing each year, and we have heard from a number of, especially some of the, the, the onto it um, long distance athletes, prize money is only a, a, a portion of what they earn, and, and certainly Cody Beals is, is a good example of that down there, only $20,000, but he seems to have structured his earnings in a way that he can really make it work well. Now, you talk about the support, the ITU, and we'll go into females in a second, but you talk about the support that the ITU athletes get from the governing bodies, mm. um, a lot of the, they probably have less expenses because a lot of that's totally. covered, so you know you could argue that return investing, but... When we look at, because I don't, I don't not, like magazines and stuff, I don't really do that nowadays, no. and they're kind of not I mean, as big a thing. Does. Yeah. So, um, who makes more commercially, an Ironman athlete or an ITU athlete? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think you can necessarily go Ironman and ITU. It's more who's 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 savvy and who's onto it. Okay. So, as as said, Cody Beal seems to be really savvy. I guess from a marketing point of view. I'd say it's pretty even. You know, if you put um, Vincent Louis and Jan Frodeno side by side, I'd say Vincent Louis is going to get you more picture time because he races so much more regularly in terms of on, you mentioned magazines, but on, say, triathlon magazines. Are you allowed sponsorships when they race, but? Uh, like on your gear? Yeah, you're allowed a few. Yep. Are you, are yep. Personal ones? Yep. Are you, okay. um, there's, there's restrictions around your uniform and, and so on you can use and restrictions around the size of your logos that you can have, but you can have sponsors on your, your race kit. So I would say Vincent Louis probably gets more picture time. Um, I'd def- he, I, I think Virginia would make more money than Louis, wouldn't he? Well, he would, but he's, he's because of his, his pedigree legend, and he's yeah. been gone around. If you go down the list a little bit further and you maybe compared, say, Javier Gomez with Sebastian Keenlay, I'd probably say Gomez is going to get um, what you, more more coverage. Because the German dollar and the German love of triathlon probably means mm. someone. Although maybe it's all soaked up by Fredino. Mm. And then, but then you go down to number six, Gustav Eden from Norway. He doesn't even have a bike sponsor, so he didn't even have a TT bike for seventy point three world champs. Really? So, but he does. I'm sure he does now because he's the, the world champion. But um, yeah, so I think it's really really variable. Um, Okay, let's look at the females. So on the female side of things, Katie Zaveras is killing it. Yeah, 247,000. So she was the World Series champion, plus been winning Super League, uh, plus just won a stack load of races. And that's a big thing this year for the men's race, racing on the ITU. You know, there was almost a different winner yeah. every single race, yeah. whereas she, she won just about every single race she did. Uh, Lucy Charles was second, Anne Haug was third, Jess Learmonth was fourth, and George Taylor-Brown was fifth. So you've got, uh, and there you've got three short quarters and two long course. Daniela Reef was only down in fifth, uh, was down in sixth. Uh, again, pretty similar to the guys. You look at the tenth was Cassandra Bogram with 75,000. Emma Pallant was uh, 20th with 36. And uh, Heather Wirtle, 30th with 29,000. And if I look down at 50th was Kelsey Wilthrow with 21,000. So 1,000 difference dollars. Females are earning $1,000 more than the equivalent male in the 50th. So it's not quite the end of the season now, but we've got rid of most of the races. Still a few Ironmans in terms of um, Florida and oh, Florida might be an age group only now. Um, Arizona, um, but most of the ITU racing is done and dusted. So yeah, pretty pretty sad state of affairs again on the female side. There's six females making six figures as opposed to five on the males. Um, but all in all, pretty sad state of affairs. It'd be nice to see these numbers. You know, five hundred thousand dollars for first place and maybe fiftieth um, being a hundred thousand dollars. But you'd like our top pros to be making a million bucks a year, wouldn't you? Yeah, totally. You know, John, have we heard anything about why Daniela 
Have you, have you, no, but I haven't been looking and I'm not really a social media guru. Yeah, she hasn't put anything on Instagram or, or, um, or, you know, any other social, well, not that I've found, but I'm just kind of curious to see, you know. No, I have not. Okay. I'm um, sure somebody can let us know, though. Yeah, totally. Okay, Jombo, let's have a look at what's coming up this weekend. We've got IMM Malaysia. Bevan, I've got something exciting here for you. What? So we look at the field for IMM Malaysia. I was thinking, oh, you'll just get, you know, another second tier field here and just, uh, you know, not, not necessarily the big names. Number one, Javier Gomez. Wow, what's with that? Interesting. Did not, look, look at Bank of Kona next year. Did not see that one coming. So, yeah, it's it's just interesting. But then, it's it the Olympics. Olympics is August? July, I think. Oh, it's oh, either July or August. Yeah. Oh, well, let's have a look. Um, I'm pretty sure it's July. You're going to say why? July. I've got no idea why he'd do that, but then you could... He's. He ain't getting the gold medal at the Olympics. If he's if he has an amazing day, luck goes his way, and he's on fire. He's he's a potential medalist, but I can't see enough of those other guys not firing for him to to get a medal. So, but yeah, I, 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 surely he's not doing it for the money. Um, doing an Ironman for sort of your off-season base training? Don't know. So surely the only reason he is doing it is to try to get a slot for Kona, but he's not going to have it all his own way because racing in Malaysia is going to be mental. It's just a grovel fest on the run. Uh, so he's also got to deal with Andy Potts, who's coming off Kona, so he'll be in good shape. But it's only Potts, isn't it? Like and, you... uh, and then Philip Kootenay was this one of the surprise packages who also got a top 10 in Kona. Oh, he's so, too, wasn't he? Um, yeah. so he's going Although to... will he be racing? Well, that's the thing. Don't know, um, but he's on the on the start list. And y- when you go to these places like this, it's just a bit of a lottery. You know, it's very easy for pro athletes as well as age groupers to completely capitulate on the run and end up running a three thirty uh, or three fifteen, three thirty, and just hobbling into the into the finish. So if this wasn't in Malaysia, I'd say Gomez is just going to spank them. You know, he'll come out of the swim with uh, Potts probably, although Potts swam shockingly in Kona. Um, it was bizarre, wasn't it? Ride with him and then he'll be able to, to outrun him you would say um, but you never know in, in, in those sort of environments on the female side Jocelyn McCauley um, again she raced Kona but raced very poorly she should absolutely spank this field again in these conditions you never anything can happen uh, so yeah I'm just fascinated to see uh, how good old Gomez goes and whether he has got the interest to come back and see what he can do in Kona well the Olympic triathlon is on the 27th of July, yeah. So they're saying the women's, the men's is on twenty seventh. The women's the next day. Mm. So you know, if he if he peaking for that, mm-hmm. he could probably still peak for Kona. Oh yeah, yeah, plenty of time. The big question for you know for him to perform in Kona, he's going to have to figure out a way to to be better on the bike. His swim's fine. His swim's obviously fine. His run, he showed you know he can run with Braden Curry, and that's a good you know in Cairns and in moderate conditions. He ran a, a fast half marathon, so the runs there. But just the bike is a big unknown as to whether he could keep up uh, on the bike and still be able to perform on the run. Does he so. have the want? You know, like that's what we were talking about with Brownlee last week. Is like Brownlee, you know, he's kind of learning his trade in long distance. Mm. Um, but these ITU guys come over, you know, like he, he obviously didn't love it enough to kind of stick at it this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I can't answer for him. No, I, I would say there's a because you've got to want it. You've you got to want it, and you've got to want it more than just having it on your resume just to round off your yeah. career. You got to really, really want and it. And I so. think a lot of these ITU guys come over and they disrespect it a little bit. They think it's good, you know, oh, it's, you know. It's, We've heard guys talk about the seven-way. They come here and they realise, oh shit, it's actually... It's a big game. Well, the challenge often they, they seem to face is they have uh, instant success at their first one or two races, yeah. and then it starts to get a bit harder. Uh, but when so they go to Kona, like I remember, who was it? One of the ITU guys, and 
maybe even Doherty told us, and then they were like, oh, no, when you go to Kona, mate, they don't need to, you know, you're smashing it. Yeah, mm. so. So I'm looking forward to seeing Malaysia there. Good old John Ellis from Muscle Zinc's heading over there today, I think, to do it. And, oh, good stuff. Jeez, uh, it's a tough race. Not that I've raced there, but just race. It's This is next level compared to Was it the one where Chris, Chris McDonald was walking? It was either there or China. It's going to be just, jeez, it's only $25,000. Chris McDonald now. was winning the race. He's walking while we, like it was a capitulation. It was like like something stupid, like only thirty percent of the field finished the race. Yeah, he's winning the race, and he's basically walking up the road, hiding between like shop doors, mm. so the guy behind can't see him. Oh, it's crazy, <laughs> just absolute madness. Mm. Okay, uh, John, we got any well, other races? Also coming up uh, this weekend, another hits race, uh, Hits Palm Springs in California, United States. Okay, there you go. That's all the races up this weekend. But John, let's talk about the race you don't want to talk about. So the Super League was on at the weekend in Malta. Uh, I have not watched it yet. I have, and I'm doing a really good job of not knowing uh, the results. I've seen who wins. Um, so I'm pretty sure Vincent Louis wins, and um, Katie Zaveris, I think, wins the females. And but I've managed to avoid sort of seeing the top three. So I've got an inkling on. Um, um, I've seen pictures, but I haven't actually watched it. I'm watching it tomorrow morning on the bike, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, one thing I will say, having not even watched it yet, is hopefully they don't stick with this format too much where they do semi-finals on the first day, so they kind of, and then you qualify to go in the final. Quite different to what we saw in the f- sort of first rounds where you had full-on racing both days, and it was sort of an accumulation of points rather than just, you know, the first day. Why don't day. you like what they're doing now? Well, the, the strongest guys can relatively comfortably get through. Yep. So the first day is kind of put, put not really us. racing full on. doesn't really mean much. Okay. Um, and then the the second day is the, for the big Hooners. That being said... I wonder uh, if it was athlete feedback. It were, it's certainly probably less arduous. Because you looked at the first one, the first one they did, those guys were blitzing themselves. Yeah. But the, in saying that, you know, it doesn't really mean much the first day. If you do win the race, then at least in the last round, you get the short shoot where you get to take a little cut cor- oh, in the okay. corner. And in the previous round, because I watched that last week, that was the difference between Vincent Louis winning and getting second place. He was, the, and he may have had another gear, but he was on the second run. He was running along and uh, they're coming towards the finish. He just gets to take the shortcut, run down the finish. And how much of a shortcut? Good, is it? Oh, 20 metres, something Still like that. Still enough, It's eh? enough, yeah. you know, um, that you're not going to get caught when you take. Oh, it. Oh, so in that yeah. case, the first day is important. Yes. Yeah. But if you're not first, it's not important. So anyway, I'd, I'd prefer to see just a mixing up of the format. So this time around, uh, it is a different format on day two, but I'd like to see a return to the just the, the craziness of the, the first few rounds we saw. Okay, we've also got the ITU World Cup continuous. This is the second tier of racing, but we do see some some interesting stuff happening here. So it was in Tungyung in Korea, and uh, Dode from France took it out in front of McElroy from the States. So must be coming close to uh, the end of the season here. Both of them were very hard-fought finishes on the run with uh, Sandra Dode. Uh, what was cool about that was she won it on, on the downhill. So on the run, they kind of ran up this little bit of an incline, turned around, and came back down. And each lap they were doing, Ayueda from Japan, she was catching up and passing um, Dode on the uphill. And then on the downhill, Dode just had this awesome downhill technique and just gassed her each time going down the downhill. And oh, that was really? enough for the win. So don't discount your downhill running ability no, we or training. A few weeks ago on the show, so if you want to go back and listen to that, Check it out. John, a hot topic last week was what were your Kona highlights? We had the World Championship last week. It was a pretty interesting race. Um, in the men's race, one guy just the legend dominated, but in the females race, it was far from what we expected. Uh, so what were your your Kona highlights? Was the discussion of the week? And we got quite a bit of feedback on this one, John. So let's go. I'll go Peter Colston. The professional quality coverage. No issues, no blender advertising, just coverage of the actual race. 
Uh, Frank Houdini, he's being, this isn't a highlight, he's being a bit negative here. Frank Houdini saying Reef is still nowhere near the standard of Chrissy. Reef off form gets easily beaten. Chrissy injured and battered still wins. Don't know about that. Come There's a difference between being Houdini. sick and injured, isn't there? Or sick and battered. Um, I don't, yeah. We don't know what happened to Reef, but geez, give her a break, Frank. Come on, Frank. Yeah. Come on, Frank. She was, she's a legend. Yeah. Anyway, Brit Champ. Uh, not so much highlights, but what I will remember most, motorcyclists getting involved with racing, including Brownlee, having to wave one out of his way. One of the pro women, uh, Jan Arnett, being involved in an accident with a tech official on the bike, and the average age grouper being taken out by another motorcyclist. That is pretty average. Uh, followed closely by Brownlee bumping into Fredino doing an interview, and Jan saying he never liked Alistair in that that yeah, this a was a weird one. If you haven't seen oh, it, so he said he's a jerk in German. Yeah, there was a, he was. Well, back Fredino, it up. This is good for the sport. Fredino was doing an interview in German, and somebody else po- actually posted the interview on here. So Toby Schnell um, said, in hindsight, this was the biggest highlight. And yeah, Br- uh, Fredino was doing an interview in German, and then uh, Brownlee obviously finishes whatever half an hour behind him or forty-five minutes behind him, and he walks past. And from what you can see in here, he bumps into Fredino. I'm and watching it, it now, and okay, it looks like it. Uh, Brownlee, uh, he's probably in a really dazed state coming through, and he may have done it on purpose. He may not have. It looks like he did, and it makes him look like a bit of a tool. Uh, and I don't know what Fredino said, but apparently he said on on camera um, some untoward words and I would say that he wasn't uh, praising Brownlee when he did his interview with Bob either on uh, the sort of post-race interviews so probably if it's all true I don't think those two like each other at all um, oh, that's good I love it <laughs> and Brownlee, that's what we need in the sport Brownlee's come on got, guys got, put the gloves on we need the right of reply from Brownlee although you know he got spanked so he's going to look like a bit of a tool if he says too much we need that in our sport but we do. it draws interest imagine if Brownlee and, and Fredino went at it publicly on social media you're a <laughs> jerk you're an idiot they, I've got two medals you've only got one you know <laughs> what are you doing Coney you schmuck you know imagine if we had that how cool that draws people to sport it does it's a bit stupid but I agree it does draw people yeah, to but sport but you know what if they don't like each other it's, 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 it's not fake Mm. You know, and it's it's. I just think it's such a good thing for sport to have interest, mm. and uh, so nice. Suzanne Vanziel, uh, dude, and how run hands down the best. Yep, uh, Lynette Wines got a uh, highlight was Jan breaking the course record on a day nothing like that has happened. Perfect. Oh, wait a second. Uh, on a day nothing like last year's perfect conditions and how great T.O. looked running. Also hearing Jan say that he asked A.B. at 25Ks into the bike if his wheel was okay and A.B. decided to keep riding until Harvey... What is that? Harvey. Harvey. Uh, No wonder he struggled on the run. He should have changed it straight away. The goo in the tyre prevented a complete flat but erode and less pressure. That's a good point. Yep, so David Levy says after the uh, after race press conference, Cam Worth was a riot, so worth the watch. And so if you do go onto the Ironman Now, whatever it's called on Facebook, they do have both the male and female full press conferences there. I haven't watched um, them in the entirety. I did see Cam Worth starting to talk and he does uh, he does ramble on, but he is, he is a bit of an entertainer. Just go back to Brownie, if he did bump him on purpose... The dick move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, that's your excitement for the week, well, isn't it? <laughs> but just, just, <laughs> I, I don't believe you did. Because why would you, if you do, you are a dick. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you've, you, like, you've got, you, the guy's beating you. Yeah. If you went up while he's interviewing the old shoulder tap, mm. yeah. 
they are quite similar personalities, so those two. They've got that air of arrogance about both yeah, of them. Yeah, but that's what it takes. And, uh, yeah, they're just... Uh, I don't know if Fredino's arrogant. When my interactions with him have always been he's a pretty cool guy. Mm. You know, like even when I'm not interviewing him, like one last year when we were in Kona, one of the things, I, I actually spoke to him for about 10 minutes. He didn't want to do an interview, but I spoke to him for about 10, 15 minutes. He seemed pretty down to earth. Okay. Um, Greg Howells is, it had to be... LCB recovering from being passed and grabbing second place, pure guts and determination. And as much as I like Reef, it was nice to see someone else take the victory. Um, Neil Hastings' coverage was awful, really? I can't, know you can't keep some are. people happy, can you? Come yeah. on, Neil. <laughs> uh, so for me, Charles retaking second place from Crowley, Crowley was the only highlight. Um, Jordan White got T.O. He got the American flag. He's got the big clap happening there. I love seeing Keenley back on the podium after such a hiatus. Uh, the moment everyone realised Reef was in fact human and actually not a cyborg. It was it was, it was was one of those sporting moments where you're thinking, this isn't happening. And you kind of give her the benefit of doubt even when it's kind of getting mm. unrealistic. You know, when there's only 45 kids going to bite, you're going, oh, maybe she can still do it. Yeah. It's just... Uh, it's just a shame that she didn't perform and then have a real race of it, you know? She wasn't... Yeah, she was she, beaten. She didn't get beaten. She got... She just had a shit day. Yeah. Um, it'd be different if she had an okay day and she she did get beaten. And you didn't do Ben Cobra, did you? No. No, Ben Cobra. Males, yarn, dropping everybody at 90 miles in the bike. Split uh, the front three and yet again set the standard. Females, Anne Haug, bike run. I'd say Anne Haug, swim bike run. But also Lucy Charles Barclay's uh, retake in the late... And late on the run, Nick. Justin Manley's got, what were the headbands and forearm gadgets the pros were wearing? I looked into a couple of those, and, and the ones that I could see were sort of co- so-called cooling devices. So Yeah, so um, Jordan White's got, got become big. We were wondering the same thing. Your, your best guess was actually some kind of sponge. Mm-hmm. Curious to hear what they actually were. And then Lynette Warren's got, uh, I think it was ice bands for cooling. There's a website, omius.io, and I did go on there the other day, and there wasn't too much information on there. So, um, yeah, Bevan, uh, you know, you didn't watch heaps of the race, but... Uh, to, me, I think the, to me, the, the, the big highlight was Jan. Mm-hmm. I think this is, when we think of legacy, and I think when we talk about Jan in the future, you know, if he hadn't won this year, and who knows what he can do next year, but let's say this is his last time, you're, you're going to pick him next year, don't get me wrong, but let's say this is his last time. If he hadn't won, he's still a legend, but in Kona, he was one of those two guys who never got more, and it was very unfortunate. But the way, you know, so this year was him, and last year, he was absolutely gutted. This year, he came back, but he didn't just come back, he made a statement. So that's three wins yeah. he's had, isn't it? yeah. So who's won four? Mark Allen, obviously, and Dave Scott. Anybody else? Um, Crowe won three. Mm. So, yeah, but, but then there's lots of twos. So you Peter Reed, yep. Tim DeBoon. Mm. You know, so there's lots of guys in the two category. Now, he has the Olympic gold, which puts him above them. Mm. But if he'd only ever won two, it, you know, he's, whereas now he does go into the Alexander, oh, Dave Scott, totally. you know, like kind of level. Um, but it wasn't just that he came back and won it. It was just crushing. It victory. was perfect triathlon, wasn't it? Mm. You know? Swim, bike, run, mm. you know, and just, and the guru at all levels, it was just, I just loved it. I just thought, wow, man, mm. what a rock star. And that's what you want to see from an athlete, isn't it? When you're on the most pressure, do you deliver? And, you know, this year you could argue he's probably on the most pressure in his career, really, mm-hmm. you know, because all the other times he's kind of done well. And then, you know, comes along, just what a performance. So for me, that, and then probably Lucy Charles is coming back, like Ian Hag, but, you know, phenomenal. Mm. But I like the grit of Lucy. I think the thing for Fredino for me, it was that complete performance. We've had lots of amazing kind of winners before. You look at Langer, 
and he didn't just win it on the run. You've still got to do yeah. the bike well and you've got to swim well. But Jan Frodeno was pretty much the best swimmer, pretty much the best biker, pretty much and the best And it was when, when Crowey, his last one, when he yeah, broke the record. he broke away on the bike. You know, like that was – because Crowey was never a strong cyclist. Mm-hmm. You know, he was always a guy who would wait and do the run. That was another one of those complete performances. Like when we think of the Kona wins over the years, there's not many that are just – You've dominated Across all three. three. Yeah, mm. you know, and it's like, imagine, back in Dave, what was, what was Mark like on the bike? Well, you, don't, you didn't really, you only ever got to see the, the, the highlights of those races, but he was good. No, he, he was a complete package as well. Yeah. Mm. You know, look, that's a good question. Maybe someone who wants to geek out on it is, how many Kona wins, both female and males, have been, like, like Daniela last year? Mm. <laughs> complete performance. But, but no, but her swim was crap. Oh, now, true, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, So, yeah, how many people have been pr- close to the front in the bike, the swim, one of the strongest bikers and one of the strongest. Because arguably, the, the, the swim, if you come out in the first pack, you've won the swim. You know, mm. you, you might not get the sprint to the top, but um, Jan Frodeno won all three. Mm. You know, that's phenomenal. Uh, so highlights for me was, uh, I've got three there. It was the swim group getting away and then staying away in the men's race. And that added that element of intrigue because it did sort of come back and forth. You're thinking, what's going to happen here? Is uh, the cycling group going to ride up or not? And then they get halfway and they haven't. And then they started pulling away or pulling back. And so that added a lot of the intrigue in terms of what was going to happen coming off the bike. So I really enjoyed that fact um, of the race. Um, watching Anne Haug run, I just thought it was sensational. She did didn't seem to let up at all and just her technique and where she looked uh, was yeah. just awesome to watch and then the, the final one for me is watching Jan Fredino bike as well I just think he just looks beautiful on the bike um, just his he's a big tall guy and he just pedals so rhythmically so smooth and stable um, so I love watching him bike his run actually didn't look that great to me uh, I mean he's he looks, because, he looks like a slow runner doesn't he yeah because he's tall and lanky but when he's running along he's you know 248 and he did have a few periods where he not 248 242 wasn't it so, uh, so he was clearly running a decent pace but he didn't look like he was running fast whereas on the bike though he just looked awesome what um what's it what is it a, as an ITU guy? What was his strengths? He wasn't that good at ITU. I mean, I know he won an Olympic gold. Yeah. But outside of that, he didn't do that much. He had a few other performances here or there, but he had a was not that great at ITU. And he was um, uh, when he did get to that Olympic gold level, then he was amongst those top guys. But he wasn't a dominator. So yeah. you go into a race. But was he a good runner? Was he a good? He was a good runner. I mean, back in those days, it mostly came down to the run. Yeah. Uh, you didn't have so many breakaways. Um, but he wasn't as strong in the swim. You know, everybody, this, almost everybody's the same level as him in the swim at ITU standard. Um, but, you know, you go into a race, say, post-Olympics, and there may be six or seven guys, and he'd be one of those guys in yep. there. So he was certainly not a stellar athlete, but you got an Olympic gold, can't take that away from him. I don't know if that's a very good question, John. Okay. Well, yeah, I was struggling. I was going to go... I had one a couple weeks ago that, that we were going to do, but we didn't do. But I can't remember what it was. What's what's it? Okay. 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 I've got to think of a question. Because John's has gone, what was the worst aspect of the coverage? Yeah. Oh, the, what was the worst aspect of Kona that you watched or saw at the weekend before last? Either on the ground in Kona or on the coverage itself? So what didn't you like about it? Some people might say, Brownlee, if, if he didn't fact Oh, I want them. Let's hype this up, team. <laughs> let's hype this. We want this conspiracy theory happening on this one. We want to know if there are any other bump-offs out there, if anybody intentionally smacked anybody in the face. I'm letting you have this question because I don't think it's great, but I can't think of anything on the spot. Good. It's going to be good. And Frank Houdini McVeigh. No, here we go. Okay. okay no, you can okay. Get, Frank Houdini McVeigh can get back in there. No, I've got one. I've got one. I'll put it in for next week. I'll get the show notes Okay, I'm going right to tell now. you now. Okay. What do you do to annoy a rival? Okay. 
Because let's be honest, we've all got that person in your company you don't like. Yeah. <laughs> There's always that one person. Yeah. Well, but what do you do to annoy a rival? Come on, that's a great question. You've got all week to think about uh, that. Team, think of you. Or you just write down what you didn't like. Going to. Um, what you didn't like. We've got to do the positive and the negative. Yeah, but then you heard Eddie complaining I, about something. I man pissed me off this week, and we're going to get on to this rant of the week uh, coming up shortly. Okay, let's get into age group. Let's go. I'll put some music on. Age Ripper of the Week. Okay, John, we're looking at Kona because we had a race a couple of weeks ago. We want to give some love to some of the age group champions in both the male and female. And this week we're going to go from 60 above. So anyone above 60, um, we're going to do... Who are the champions in each category? Kevin Ferguson took out the male 60-64. He did 10.07. He's from Australia. He's in the Lakers Triathlon Club. Swam 1 hour and 56 seconds. Rode 5.13.27. That's pretty bloody respectable. Uh, and then ran a 3.45 for a 10.07. Very impressive. And an impressive victory as well because he won by about 8 minutes. Mary Mitchell from the Lakers Triathlon Club in Australia. Oh, Really? Well, I'm not sure if it's from Australia, but it's the Lakers Triathlon Club. Well, it is. Look, has she got a flag there as well? Yeah, oh, she is. Actually, you're right, John. It's crazy. They're both from two people from clubs, same age group. Go to the Lakers Triathlon Club. Oh, yeah. Lots of love for them. She swam 120, she biked 16, and then she ran a 409 for a combined time of... What's the combined time, John? 11.47.17. So, well done, Mary, you rock star. In the males, 65 to 69, only one minute between first and second. Uh, so Roberto Azevedo from Brazil uh, took it out. He did 11 hours and 35 minutes in total. Swam 118, biked 538, and then ran 4.26. Lee Nelson from Canada was exactly pretty much an hour behind Mary. So she swam a 133, she biked a 634, and then she ran a 426 for a combined time of 12.47.52. Well done, Laura Lee. Uh, and the men's 70 to 74. I wonder how many finishes we had here. Jeez, quite a few. Jeepers, quite a few. Jeepers, quite a few. Well, 28th place. I'm not sure if there's another page. 28th was the last one. Um, he did 16 hours and 50 minutes. So it was Paul Whitehouse from the Mid-Coast Triathlon Club in the States. But first place was Herman Hefty from Team Coach in Switzerland. He did 12 hours and 44 minutes, winning by, wow, winning Dojo Domination, 28-minute win. Uh, he swam 128, he biked a 6.13, and then he ran a 4.45, for a convincing dojo domination. Okay, well in the female 77 before, there was only five athletes. Shirley Ralston got fifth oh, nice. um, from Christchurch. She's a local girl. Um, and, but Bobby Greenberg took it out, and she was from America, from the Big Sexy Racing. That's good old um, oh, Chris McDonald's team. Uh, so that is 14 hours and seven minutes. She swam at 147, biked 7.09, and then ran a 4.59.37. So that's good work for a combined time of 14.07. Well done, Bobby. There was no females in the 80s, John. We had uh, in the 75 to 79, we had seven finishes. And taking it out was Gennaro Magliolo from the States. Sounds like an Italian name to me, but he's from Kennedy Law Racing. He did 13.32 to win by 13 minutes. He swam 148, biked a 6.25. And ran a five oh three. Nice. And then finally, and is it finally? Is it is it is it finally? We had 
we did have some 80 to 84 men racing. Just the one from New Zealand, Auckland City Triathlon Club, Warren Hill, took it out. He did 16 hours and 38 minutes, and he swam 154, biked 757, and ran 624. Good uh-huh. to see a Kiwi on top. 80 to 84, that is pretty crazy. That is pretty crazy, eh? Yeah. That's awesome. John, I'm 42. There's no way this body's going to last another 40 no. years. No. <laughs> oh, so I teach those... my body that clusters, and every time I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm this age. Uh, John, let's get into it. Rant of the week. Rant of the week. Now, I think I might have already ranted on this once before because I think when it came out uh, and they were talking about the AWA, it wasn't the AWA, it was the AWA. Uh, the, I think it was the All race director or the, or the regional director or something like that. He was going, we're going to have these AWA slots. For anybody that goes to Ironman Louisville, we're going to have these AWA. And I was like, what the hell is AWA? Oh, it's AWA. Just call it AWA. That's what everybody calls it. Uh, it is a stupid system, but uh, that's... So, Peter Colson sent this through, I think it was. Now, is Got Louisville a championship race? No, it's not. Oh, okay. So I was a bit, I was a bit accepting of it because I was like, oh, it's a championship race. No. So at Ironman Louisville, got 40, 40 kind of slots. Go, you people. I know you didn't get to swim there last weekend, which sucks. But what they did at Louisville this year, they said, right, everybody who's an AWA athlete, they're going to put an extra 26 slots, one per age group um, for kind of slots for anybody who's an AWA athlete. It's just... Lunacy. Wait, wait, wait. how do you be an AWA athlete? Bevan, you're a broadcasting professional. I know, mate. I, yeah, so I to be that. an AWA athlete, you need to be sort of have done previous events and you need to have um, finished in the top 10% of your age group and then you get some points based off. To, to, to get an AWA ranking, you've got to get a certain number of points and you've generally got to be in the top 10% of your age group at a particular race. Oh, so wait a second. It's not just if they're gold, gold silver, or. No, it's gold, silver, or bronze. So to, to, give you, to give you guys an example, um, so for me to be a... When you went for Kona, you got top 10%, didn't you? Oh, I was gold standard then. Oh, of course you were. But I'd done four races in that season. I'd done Auckland 70.3. And you won that, done, didn't you? No, no pod beat you, didn't he? Yeah, and I did, uh, and I blew up on the run. I was... Uh, oh, then, here we go, excuses. And then did uh, Ironman New Zealand, and I got second there, and then did Kona 70.3. Can't remember where I finished there. You won it, didn't you? Not that year. Oh. And then did Kona as well. And I know I did Crap and Kona, but so I had lots of four races. So if you do plenty of races, you're okay. But to give you an example, um, this year, if I wanted to be a bronze level AWA athlete, I'd need, according to their table, 5,064 points. Um, and I accumulated 3,418 points from getting second at the. No, I got 3,331 points for getting second at the Kona 70.3. So I wouldn't even be an AWAR athlete on the 70.3 rankings or the overall rankings. So you kind of got to do, if you do three races and you're sort of towards the front and and, and the sort of top percentages of the race, then you you sweet you're in. Um, But you don't have to be that high up. If you're doing three races, you you don't need to be getting on the podium or anything like that, but probably in the top, I don't know, at a guess 25% and and you're sort of in. So you've got to be remotely okay to get AWAR sort of standard. did you did you do, at the end of the year? Because I'm just I'm on the page around looking at rankings for overall. So like for example, if we look at female eighteen to twenty four, Claire Robinson from Canada has done three races, and she's got thirteen thousand points. She's current champion. Did you look at it at the end of the year? Did you care about it? I, I looked at it only because we do the podcast, but otherwise I'm don't just care to see about how many it. people actually, you know, get into it. Don't think many do. I think it's it's one of those things. It gets to the end of the year, and you get the email, and they go, "You're a gold AY member." You go, "Oh, 
Really? It's nice. Yeah. Didn't know. But that's, that's kind of almost beside, well, that's beside the point because my point here is it, it's, it would infuriate athletes, and rightly so, if you go out to Ironman Louisville and you finish, say, third in your age group and you miss out on a slot because there's only two slots. And then some, and then schmuck, some who schmuck who gets 10th. Um, now, if you got one of those AWAS slots, no problem with you whatsoever. You take it and go for it. The system's it's in the rules, isn't it, John? Um, but then somebody could get 10th because they're an AWAS athlete and get the slot. And that is just absolute lunacy. And what drives me even more nutty is when we get people that are going to say, oh, it's just another loyalty system. You do it at the supermarket and all that sort of stuff. Well, this, this isn't a supermarket. It's our sport. <laughs> and um, we're all very passionate about Can it. Can with it's not about just going and buying another, you know, two dozen wines to get your points rankings up or go and do some extra flights to get your rankings. It's our sport. And I think sport is very different to consumer products. I know we're consumers. I know it's a business. But this is just bullshit. Um, and they need to put those slots elsewhere. As we heard from Andrew Messick, you know, each year they've got a certain number of slots at Alcatcher races. And the reason why they'll be putting these 26 slots in here is they will have allocated them elsewhere. They might have been thinking, right, we're going to have an Ironman in China this year yep. or we're going to have an Ironman in, in India. And it doesn't happen. And so we've got to put them somewhere. So let's chuck them in here or do some lottery system. Um, but it's just not fair. And that's just what gets me really fired up is I just feel for those people that... Who would, but what about, what, what about... I know you're saying loyalty, but... Why wouldn't they reward the people who do their, more of the races? Well, Kona's a championship race, and if you want to reward loyalty, why don't you put another 26 slots under the legacy program or something like that, rather than having a really biased system that people have to go into Ironman races and really exclude you. Say, for us, you know, we've only got a couple of races each year in New Zealand, um, and if we'd gone over to Ironman Louisville and that was our big target for the year, because I haven't done four races across America or four races across Europe, I'm at a massive disadvantage. So Yeah, um, with the AY slots in this race, is it the first person gets it? I would I'm pretty sure that's how it was aligned, yeah. Okay. It's just lunacy. Just mental. I'm just kinda of curious, does it draw people to the race? Like if someone who's in the AY system go, Oh, actually I'm gonna do Louisville now yeah. because I've got a higher chance of getting Dakota. See, I don't think it would. It's, and I just think they could they could get better marketing or better, better PR out of this by doing it in a different way. Um, makes me angry, Bevan. Because I, I know how hard people try to get to Kona and when they just dish them out willy-nilly like this. And why Louisville? Well, I don't know. Need more bums on seats. I know that'd be one thing. Yeah. But anyway. So you, you, you feel the better way... Or, or you just chuck them into the general slot. So if, if they'd said, oh, we've got these extra slots, okay, at Louisville, instead of having 40 slots, we've actually got another 20 slots and we're going to put them into the general um, pop, general group, I'd say, don't have a problem with that because then it's still going to the performers. What annoys me is people that are further down the pack qualifying over other people that have beaten them. Madness, Bevan. John, Madness. the world's not fair. The world is not fair. John, we had a great interview over last week. She did it last week with a lady by the name of uh, Dr. Krista Austin. Uh, she is basically a performance sports nutritionist um, and knows her stuff, John. So we got her on and we're going to have a bit of a chat to her right now. Here she is. Here is Dr. Krista Austin. 
Okay, guys, so we've got Dr. Krista Austin on the show today. Uh, she's a sports scientist, exercise physi- physiologist, nutritionist. Um, she's worked with lots of Olympic athletes, high-performance athletes with uh, all sorts of different sports. I, I wasn't too happy to read that she actually worked with the English cricket team. Oh, don't even, don't oh, even start with the cricket. We won't start with that because they beat us in the final of the World Cup. Uh, also worked with USA Triathlon, USA Taekwondo, wrestling, canoeing, kayaking, uh, lots of elite marathon runners, especially uh, some of the big American names, so can give us a, a good amount of uh, experience and knowledge from those areas, and we're also going to talk about UCAN and how people can uh, introduce that and trial it out in their training and racing programs. So welcome along to the show, Krista. Hi, John. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. So what, what I thought would be really good to start with, because the whole nutrition space is extremely confusing for everybody. Uh, there's so many different claims being made, and when uh, companies go out there and market their products, they're saying we've got, we've got glucose this, we've got fructose that, we've got multidextrin, etc. And so lots of the sports nutrition products contain all these different sugar types. Um, so I thought what might be useful is if you can kind of explain the different sugar types that are typically found in, uh, in sports nutrition and, and what sort of mechanisms they use uh, in terms of fueling the athlete. Yeah, so if you take a look at where we started in sports nutrition, we started with your really simple sugars, and they are considered what's called a monosaccharide. So that's glucose, fructose, um, and then dextrose. And then we also started back in the day with something called sucrose, which is a disaccharide that gets broken down into glucose plus fructose. Um, and you also see that today in products is something called cane sugar, uh, to my knowledge. And so essentially back in the day, this is our first go at sports nutrition. And these products have what we call a very low molecular weight. So for glucose, fructose, and dextrose, they're going to be about 180 to 200 uh, grams per mole. Um, and if you look at something like sucrose, it's going to be more along the lines of about 340 to 350 Um, when we started morphing sport nutrition a little bit further along the road, we started incorporating products such as maltodextrins. And maltodextrins are more what we call a polysaccharide, typically derived from starch that breaks down into multiple uh, glucose molecules. When you take it in and the body starts to, you know, uh, hydrolyze it and starts to unwind it in essence. And it has a far higher molecular weight of about 500 up to 3,000, maybe even 8,000 in some of the specialized ones that you see in research studies. And it really moved sport nutrition forward because it was that much easier for the body uh, to handle. But at the end of the day, all of these are really considered what we call high glycemic carbohydrates that oftentimes spike insulin. Um, And they also have what's called a little bit of a higher osmolality. And that's very important because that osmolality determines how easily it's going to empty out of the stomach and get into the intestines and uh, usually determines, you know, how much of an issue we might have with something like GI distress. Mm -hmm. So in the infancy of sport nutrition, that is where we actually start it. And today we're starting to see a number of products begin to morph that area. And what are some of the other claims you see from from you know the, the more traditional sports nutrition is a sort of two to one ratio, et cetera. So maybe um, sort of explain how how that works and and any other sort of generalized claims that sports marketing companies are often making about how their um, formulation is slightly different to the others. 
Yeah, so one of the things that they began to highlight is they studied how you transport these simple sugars through the intestinal system is that they found there were transporters for glucose, but also transporters for fructose. And that if you had just glucose alone, you couldn't oxidize or utilize, you could say, as much carbohydrate as if you actually gave glucose plus fructose. Mm -hmm. So a lot of products that you see today will in some form or another try to provide some glucose with fructose. So that two to one ratio is typically indicative of, you know, two grams of glucose for every one gram of fructose. Um, That's not a bad idea. It actually helped improve the sport nutrition marketing that we see today. And it's still something that athletes have to take into consideration when they are looking at sport nutrition products. What I think is a little bit more confusing as we've moved along is people start saying, oh, we've got dextrose and we've got cane sugar. And at the end of the day, the person goes, okay, well, what does this matter to me? At the end of the day, they're still simple sugars that really come in and end up as glucose for the most part or glucose plus fructose in the case of a cane sugar usually. So people get confused because they see all of a sudden there's all these new you know, ingredients, right? Different types of carbohydrates. But at the end of the day, we're still usually dealing with the same bottom line products where it is some ratio of glucose to fructose, even if it's a maltodextrin to fructose. And I know that there's so much goes into GI distress, you know, and, you know, we, we, most of our listeners will be um, long, long distance triathletes um, and whether it's pacing, whether it's heat, whether it's something else. But I know, you know, a lot of athletes have said to me, you know, I've got, they've got sensitivities to maltodextrin and so on. What are some of the other common sensitivities that um, athletes may have if they've got their pacing correct um, that's going to cause them sort of GI distress? Yeah, so first and foremost, GI distress usually comes from not hydrating properly and having enough electrolytes. You do have to realize that the transporters within the intestinal system require us to have sodium and have it at you know the right level. And once you start looking at someone's plan and understanding whether or not they have enough fluid, they have enough electrolytes, the next thing we start to look at is the actual osmolality of the product that they're taking in. And that's where we're starting to see things shift a little bit out there in the sport nutrition realm with products like the Generation UCAN coming on board. And the UCAN product has a very low osmolality. It's probably the lowest you'll ever see. If it's the plain, the osmolality is actually zero. Um, If it's one of the flavored versions or sweetened versions with some electrolytes in it, you see the osmolality go up to about 60, maybe up to 80, which is extremely low in comparison to the 280 to 350 you typically see in the simple sugars and maltodextrin range. Um, The other thing you're starting to see is there's a difference in the actual molecular weight of a product like that. Um, We talked earlier about the simple sugars being about 180 to 200, whereas in something like the super starch, it's about 600,000 grams per mole. Um, So very large, and essentially what happens is once it gets into the intestinal system, because the osmolality is so low, it empties from the stomach pretty easily, and then it just seeps out of the intestine really slowly. Part of that is in the actual design of the super starch because it's not designed to be broken down very quickly. And I think this is a benefit, and people haven't studied this a whole lot, so this is my hypothesizing, (laughs) just 
bit is that if you combine it correctly uh, with your other sport nutrition products, you can end up maximizing what you can take in without the GI distress because it is breaking down so slowly. To me, it serves as this really nice base carbohydrate that people can have to ensure that blood glucose is maintained really steady. We see other products out there that also have a high molecular weight. You can't you know, ignore ones like the Targo, but they are designed very differently. Um, some have said that it's a little bit similar more to a very long-chain maltodextrin um, and comes from potatoes, in which it's designed to break down much faster once it is in the intestinal system. So what we try to do with athletes to enhance performance, but also ensure they don't have GI distress, which would limit it on the day, uh, no matter how good your carbs are, is to find the right balance between products to help them actually get through it to the best of their abilities. Um, one of the things I've been doing over the years with the UCAN is to take you know people who have really severe GI distress and use it all the way up until they absolutely need to have the high glycemic carbs, maybe more from the psychological standpoint of view, or we're at a point where uh, blood glucose is only going to be maintained if we have enough uh, carbohydrate being provided to us. And the body in a really long course triathlon is just pulling so strongly from the actual gastrointestinal system. And that differs a lot, especially based on how fast people are or just, you know, how their individual intestinal system behaves, especially if we don't know how sensitive they are to something maybe like fructose. And those are things we have to figure out for people. So I guess, look, um, one thing that we've sort of learned with nutrition over the years, and uh, you will know this a hell of a lot better than us, that, that there isn't really a, a one-size shoe that fits everybody. Um, so I guess what you're saying is it is a case for individuals kind of need to figure this out um, themselves in terms of, you know, so for me, for example, you know, when I was racing an Ironman, I would have a few bottles of UCAN and then I'd be taking in around about 60 grams of carbs from, from an alternate source. And I kind of got the impression that that was along the lines of what Tim O'Donnell was doing. Um, we don't know exactly what he did uh, at the weekend in Kona, but is that kind of the impression you got from where he was heading as it was going to work in, in unison and having that slow release from the UCAN, but then, you know, consistently topping that up with with more high release um, glycogen. Yeah, you know, I, I worked on Tim's plan with him, and uh, you know, the whole goal for him was saying, okay, Krista, how do I maximize what we know can be oxidized when you are on that bike? How do I maximize what I take in? So for most of those guys, they are looking to try and take in about two grams a minute, maybe even up to two point two grams, and that's because. We know in the science textbooks that if you take in two, you're going to get one out into the bloodstream on average. And so what they're trying to do is say, how much can I take in so I eventually have this down the road? Good thing about the UCAN is that because of how slowly it breaks down and the osmolality being so low, they can take it in and take in enough on the bike so that they actually have some there for uh, the run as well. But the whole goal was okay, how can we make sure he never kind of has that wonky moment that comes from his body working that hard and burning that many calories and trying to make sure he, you know, has that stabilized blood glucose at all times. And that's just something that keeps them from having a bad day at the office, in essence. So for a guy like that, you want to see how much you can pump into him and how much you can maximize the oxidation rates. Mm. 
it certainly worked because he didn't fade. And uh, there was a case in the race where I thought he was going to get pipped for uh, for second, but he seemed to hold pretty strong there in the last part of the run. Um, one of the other areas I wanted to discuss with you, because I know you've, you've had quite a bit of experience with with marathon runners and elite marathon runners, is the demands for um, for fueling in marathon racing. So Ironman athletes, a lot of them are going to be listening to this and they're going to take on board what you've said. Marathon is obviously done at a significantly higher intensity, whether you're a faster athlete or a a mid-pack athlete you know it's going to range from one hour 59 40 or whatever it was at the weekend yeah. um to you know whatever five five or six hours so i guess firstly from a from the from the pros point of view um or, or fast age groupers you know maybe going you know well under three hours what are the, the differences in demands um in terms of nutrition when you're running a pure marathon as opposed to you know going 30 to 40 minutes slower in a nine man as part of a, a, a nine to 10 hour race? Well, you have to realize that the intensity they're working at, they are going to want to throughout the race actually elevate blood glucose. What I typically do with the marathon runners, and this is, you know, Meb Kaplesky, Dathan Rissenheim, um, is I preload them with the UCAM. That's because they need some time for it to get into their system and actually serve as part of that caloric base that will support their eventual marathon. Um, And once they're out there, they're only out there for so long. It's such a short period of time that you don't actually need to take in any more UCAN. And in their case, you want to give them the high glycemic carbs, about a gram per minute, because they can actually tolerate that and they will actually oxidize it. So for them, it's a, a pretty simple story. Now, once you start getting a good bit slower, I would say people who are about three and a half hours maybe um, and slower, we start to see that you will preload with it. And that's usually what I recommend to people, you know, get, you know, two, three servings in prior to the start of the race, along with your breakfast. And then, you know, every couple hours I have them, you know, every 90 minutes to two hours, usually they're going to be out there for, let's say, you know, four or five hours that two-hour mark will say, okay, taking a serving of that you can to hold you, you know, to keep fueling the body. So typically for every, you know, two hours that they're out there, I'll make sure they have at least one serving of you can um, to start topping off and redosing them as they move throughout the race. And, and, and with that, do you still recommend the, the one gram of um, like your glucose, the carbohydrate? Depends on the person. You know, everybody's tummies are so different. And there are some that they just cannot handle anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are others that if we give them like a, about a, you know, equivalent of a gel, you know, about 20 to 30 grams of high glycemic carbs an hour, it really enhances performance for them. So at the end of the first hour, we'll start giving them one of those. And if they stay hydrated well enough, they're absolutely fine to get through the marathon without GI distress. And, you know, you'll see that between the combination of the two, the UCAN and the high glycemic carbs, they'll have the best race of their life, predominantly because they are fueling their bodies so well. Um, so it depends on the individual. Now I have a friend who I'll, I'll tell you, you know, she takes in a few servings of UCAN prior to racing and then one serving of UCAN in the middle and that's it. You know, she's a three thirty kind of person and she said, I just can't take in anymore. She's like, that's, that's how sensitive her body is. But what about the person who's not sensitive? What about the person who doesn't have any GI distress and, you know, can just basically bucket down a lot of you know, nutrition in a race, what, what would be your recommendation for those types of people? Yeah, for those type of people, I still say, how are we going to maximize what you're taking in? Because your body kind of has this, you know, fuel gauge sitting there, right? 
and you want to start with it completely on full. So for them, I sit there and say, okay, if you can take it in while you're in the race, that's totally cool. But can we use some you can to maybe give you a bit more? So if they're taking in 60 grams an hour, I'll say, okay, well, let's go and make that maybe, you know, 75 to 90 grams an hour by preloading with the you can and then making sure you have a gel like every 30 minutes in okay. essence. Yep. Um, so for them, it's just about strategizing and always optimizing intake regardless of who you are. And uh, I know I'm, I'm probably going to open another can of worms here, and we're going to uh, open that low carb, high fat can of worms again, which which uh, has been very popular with a lot of athletes, and we see so many um, positive stories about it. Um, and and I've been doing my own little study at the moment uh, with some athletes and their perceptions, and it's worked really really well for them. They have all been males. Um, but yeah, I just kind of wanted to get your interpretation of where you, where you kind of sit on on low carb, high fat, and how it sort of fits in for for the endurance athlete. Yeah, so you know, to be honest with you, I never really have leaned toward any type of low carb, high fat uh, plan for athletes, predominantly just because there's no clinical reason to do it for most of them. Uh, typically, what I've actually seen is that in females, especially, it'll help you know, actually not help, it'll actually cause endocrine dysfunction. Um, and a lot of those females will start reporting, hey, I'm not having my menstrual cycle. And it's predominantly because when you start starving the muscle cell of carbohydrate, you actually alter thyroid function. And the alteration in thyroid function results in alterations in pituitary function, and that inhibits a hormone called luteinizing hormone. And so they'll see their menstrual cycle at some point completely go away. The other thing the females will sometimes report is increased weight gain that they did not want, uh, poor sleep. And so when you start adding all those factors together, they say, hey, this might not be the best thing for me. Now, with the males, I have, you know, seen better success with them. Uh, but one of the things I always say to them, I said, you know, are you monitoring your endocrine function? And as soon as they see that it really lowers their testosterone, a lot of them actually say that they want to be brought off of it just because they have concerns long-term about what the effects might be. Um, so everyone's very different. Um, in the case of like actual metabolic disease, though, if a physician turns around and says, hey, Krista, you know, this individual has metabolic disease. I'm going to provide oversight. I'd like you to put them on a low-carbohydrate, uh, high-fat nutrition plan. Then absolutely we would take a look at that, but only with the physician oversight to make sure – maintained okay no 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 this is a very generalized question but what would be your broad recommendations for everyday nutrition then you know i tell people that it's always about how do you feel and what's in your best interest but i typically stay within the acceptable macronutrient distribution ranges and that's keeping carbohydrate at about 45 to 60 percent depending on the individual um, and protein anywhere between you know 15 to 35 percent and then you're just letting fat come in as the rest Interestingly, what I hear from a lot of the endurance athletes, and this is true from the females, is that they don't realize how deficient they are in protein intake. And once you actually increase their protein intake to the higher end of the acceptable macronutrient distribution range and keep them in the normal end, you know, maybe like 45% carbohydrate to 50, they actually say, gosh, I really feel like I'm recovering better. Um, and so I think one of the biggest things that we see in endurance sport is that athletes will lean towards one extreme or the other far too frequently. 
and they might not even realize that they're doing it. So just making them cognizant and aware of the fact that they might not be recovering as well because they're not getting a, a distribution of all the macronutrients. Um, Can you maybe just give us, uh, you know, you talked about numbers there in terms of how much protein to take in. Like uh, on a a daily basis for a female athlete, let's say they're a a triathlete, what does that actually look like? You know, people, when when you say protein, a lot of people by default will go, okay, I need to have lots of dairy, etc. So maybe can you give us an example of what a day might look like to to meet those guidelines of, of how much protein they should be taking in? Yeah, so, you know, it depends on the individual and how they like to structure their actual nutrition plan. It's a little bit harder to do with ones that are vegetarians or vegans. I I would say that I tend to struggle in designing those plans. But for people who don't have any limitations, typically, you know, we'll start with something like, you know, Vans protein waffles, and those have 10 grams of protein in them. And, you know, we'll complement it maybe with some, you know, almond milk that's fortified with protein. Um, and that will maybe start off their day. Uh, we'll also use snacks that, you know, have protein in the yogurts themselves, so about 15 grams, and mix it in with a protein-rich cereal, maybe like the Kashi Goline, so that we're always giving them these regular doses of about 25 grams of uh, protein in any meal or snack at a minimum. And then we'll take meals and say, okay, how do we improve our protein content even more so? And a lot of times that's pairing a lean meat with um, other low glycemic uh, legumes or things of that nature. So I'll put it with quinoa and lentils um, to help enrich the protein content of the meal. So oftentimes we have to work pretty, a little more diligently, I would say, uh, to identify those more protein-based foods. But on the whole, I would say, you know, it's relatively easy. Uh, But you're starting to see products come out um, like wraps and what have you that actually have more protein content in them. So you can take the wrap, it'll have seven grams of protein in it, put in your lunch meat, some cheese, some salad, and really say, hey, I've got a really protein-rich meal or snack to have um, throughout the day. So there's a lot of different things that we can start to do to say, how are we going to get this into someone's diet? But typically, you know, they're having, uh, you know, eggs, chicken, fish all throughout the day to help get the protein in. And are you happy with the use of like a protein ways to help supplement that? Uh, There are some people that will use uh, protein powders um, to actually help supplement the diet, and that's absolutely fine. Oftentimes, they'll put it into a smoothie. Um, So they'll take like the plain super starch from you can and put in their own maybe plant protein or whey protein source. Um, And they will, you know, add fruit and a Greek yogurt that is, you know, higher in protein, even just a plain Greek yogurt, some orange juice, blend it all up. And you've got this very protein rich snack that they can have. So if they need to, yeah, absolutely. You know, use some powders to go with it. Just, just you know, you, you obviously, you know, you know your, your shit, if I'm going to be honest. Uh, what are your thoughts on, you know, because there's so many people out there who, you know, get into the low, low carb, high fat kind of, I don't know, cult. Well, I don't know if it's cult, but just, you know, this kind of philosophy. What's, what's it like from your perspective when you have got so much more scientific background behind you when you see these people who are promoting things who maybe you question? You know, I always try to keep an open mindset, but whenever someone comes to me, I say, first and foremost, I want to know that I'm going to maintain your health. And if health is not your priority, first and foremost, you're going to end up having a very short-lived athletic career, no matter what level you're competing at. If we need to go there and go to a, you know, a high-fat, low-carb nutrition plan, 
I want them to have a medical physician providing oversight if there's not a good clinical reason. Um, but oftentimes what I found is that we can manipulate the training load, begin monitoring the training load a lot better, and get the effects that they're looking for. And then I say to them, okay, do you really want to live this very strict lifestyle of a high-fat, low-carb diet? And they say, well, no, not if I don't have to. Um, so I think in the long haul, if we take a look at what people can sustain, you'll see that they sustain a more mixed diet a whole lot better. Um, and you don't see the, the more, you know, fluctuations in their body weight, fluctuations in their, you know, health and metabolic parameters. And I just have to believe that long term, if we want to keep them going for as long as possible, that we need to find something that's very doable at all points in time. So, you know, I don't sit there and try to question it or, or poo-poo it, shall we say, but I do sit there and say, okay, why do we have to go down this road? Like in elite sport, we would only go down that road if it truly was going to enhance performance. It was something we absolutely had to do. Otherwise, the athletes are going to be like, look, I don't enjoy this, Krista. I want to enjoy my food. I want to enjoy going out with others. You know, um, you know, do I have to do this? And typically, that's been the reaction from elite athletes. Um, so I don't know. I sit there and say, you know, why are we doing it? And if we're doing it for the right reasons, then absolutely go down that road. But if there's not a good rationale there um, and we can enhance performance in other ways, then, you know, maybe let's look at that first so we don't miss out on critical phytonutrients or sleep because of the nutrition plan we're on. And, and also I think one thing you recommend there is, is at least get a health checkup around it if you're going to go down that path. Yeah. No, and that, you know, I think it's good to make the individual's physician aware that they're possibly looking at that pathway because um, most doctors will turn around and say hey do you know the potential for you know alteration of your health um, with you know it's cholesterol or cardiac function and you know their sexual health uh, mental health even because sleep might become disrupted and the doctors typically do like to know because they'll make them recommendations they pull back and stop if they do see any type of health issue arising. Awesome. Um, just from, from your point of view, anything you're doing that might be relevant for athletes, um, whether you're doing any seminars, books, or anything like that, anything anything you've got you want to promote? You know, not really. Not at this time. I tend to jump on podcasts with, you know, fun guys like yourself and try to, <laughs> you know, just answer the questions people want answered and uh, just say, hey, you know, let, let's give people, you know, any kind of information and brain dump that I can provide to them, right? Uh, so always looking for those opportunities because I want to answer the questions that people have and that they say, okay, you know, like give me this info, you know, and, and what are you telling, you know, athletes at that elite level that you think might be relevant for me as well. Brilliant. So Now you've unpacked quite a few uh, good broad subjects there. So I really appreciate your time and guys uh, listening, take it on board and go out there and uh, test it all out. So thanks so much for your time. Okay. Thanks so much, Sean. Appreciate it being on with you. John, do you can, then let's have a talk about the thoughts. Yeah, so you heard um, Krista talk about you can there. So um, if you do want to get any you can yourself, uh, United States, go to generationucan.com slash shop. If you're in Australia, generationucan.com.au. Canada, um, Smart Performance Nutrition ca and if you're in new zealand superstarch.co.nz use the promo code imtalk and you get a 15 discount on those uh those websites you can get you can elsewhere there's other distributors or amazon etc um, but you won't get that discount and 
you know, you, you've heard us talk about UCAN over a number of weeks. It's just another element you can throw into your sort of mix of what you're taking in race day. And as Chris has sort of said, there's different ways you can do it. You either go exclusively on UCAN, you do a bit of a mixture, and that's what Tim O'Donnell sort of did. Um, but it just gives you another source of energy. So all good stuff. Check it out, Generation UCAN. So your thoughts on the interview? She was pretty great, wasn't she? She's good. And, and again... There's just there's no one right answer to this whole nutritional puzzle, and so that's what uh, I'm going to do. Some stage in the next few weeks, I'll do a bit of a summary of what I've sort of found out from the athletes that follow a low carb, high fat diet, and it works for 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 some athletes. It works really, really well. For others, it doesn't work well at all. Um, And so it is a bit of a case of trial and error. But I think the general gist of most of these things, and with low carb, high fat slightly you just got to tweak this a little bit but you know if you eat lots of vegetables you're sweet <laughs> that's uh, just gist of it but I think Krista made some really good points there around um, protein intake for females which is really really important um, so yeah things are just evolving all the time but I think general things keep plenty of vegetables get rid of all your processed rubbish um, and then get your protein in and then the other one for me is um, for me just I've, I've personally just thinking about the environment a little bit as well and, and, and some food choices around the impact it's going to have on the environment so lots of things to consider but there's no perfect way to do it and if you see these where, people where out, are your ratios sorry of your macros where are your ratios well I don't measure my ratios particularly so um, I'm sort of I'll go through this in a few weeks time once I've actually I'll click because I actually because that interview got me thinking because I you know, I've talked about my views on food, and I, kind of, I think I've pretty much got it right. So I, did, I downloaded MyFitnessPal, mm-hmm. and I paid for the, so you can do, one thing is, now it's so easy to record your diet. Mm. Man, like MyFitnessPal, you can scan the food, mm. and, you know, scan the barcode, and it comes up for your nutritional. It's not perfect, but it gives you an idea. And my, I actually have a, a little bit too much fat, based on, you know, if you're going to go with the 50, 30, 20. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm sitting around about 40, 40, 20. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's mainly healthy fat. I don't eat that much bad food, but it was just—it was quite interesting just to go through that process and think about you know what's actually happening with your diet. Because I think a lot of us think we are doing a certain Everybody thing. Everybody thinks they're yeah, yeah, healthy diet. Yep, and you're actually looking. Oh. Yeah, like, and uh, I, I do like to stay within those ranges. Um, so I have made a couple of little tweaks. It was just, you know, it wasn't a huge amount of tweaks for me, but I just need to make a couple of little tweaks and I've gotten back to where I want it to be. The carbohydrate content is, it is pretty fascinating when you use that uh, that app in terms of you think you're fairly low carbohydrate and you actually go through this, the process and you go, wowzers, uh, mm. I'm not even remotely close. And you realise very quickly if you do want to go low carb, high fat, you've got to make some pretty severe adjustments for, for most people. Yeah, so um, I, I just, I, I just like it's been a really interesting experience just to kind of go through it. I've been pretty religious for logging everything in. Um, and yeah, it's just, yeah, it's a good little tool. Like, I'm going to use it for a month, so like for 12 bucks. But it's, it probably takes me about 10, 15 minutes a day just to log everything in mm. as an overall. But it's definitely made me think, oh no, I can shift this here, this here. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it's a good little process to go through again if you want to get you can john sent those links through there's links on our website as well so check out generationucan.com uh, remember discount code john i am talk wanger of the week wanger of the week here goes wanger of the week so if you don't know what we're talking about wanger of the week it's our strava club you go into strava.com and you just search for um i am talk podcast and then you can sign up in there and then you've got a chance to be our wanger of the week 18 18. The reason I said 18, I was waiting for you to stop there and I was watching the clock and the clock said 18. John's putting the pause name up because he wants to find it. Have you not found it? Uh, my automatic login's not working, so I'm just going to be a minute away. Why don't you uh, 
You tell us go back else. to the Brownlee Bump. See, I've even given a name now. The Brownlee, Brownlee Bump. bump. <laughs> the Brownlee Bump. Have you ever given somebody the Brownlee Bump, Evan? No, I'm, I'm, I'm not an aggressive person. Yeah. I'll do things. No, no, I haven't. No, I've never. I've, I, I avoid confrontation, John. Mm. You have, haven't you? Uh, just, I'm going to have to pause. I'll just, why okay. can't this just log in for I'll me? pause. I'll pause. Here we go. Come back. He's back, and guys, I wish he had recorded that bit because he was, he was, what, you, you used the F word twice. I was getting a bit angry. I was, I was trying to log into Strava and I was actually trying to sign up. So yeah, F and Muppet, you called my, them. My, my fault. So, anyway, number 18 on our, on our Wanger of the Week this week was Seth Bidding from Rossland in Canada. He came over on Epic Camp this year and he's a Uber athlete. One of the things I like about Strava as well is you can, you know, it's got his list of achievements. He had a PR on the lower cemetery um, route, he had a PR on um, the, the Happy Valley to the highway. Um, and, and so I, I don't really use Strava that much as, in terms of dick measuring and going on seeing how I compare against others what, what I like about it is it actually records all your times for, for different routes that you have so you can actually go back and see if you're improving going I think I had a really good run down that stretch today and you can actually go back and you can actually see all the times you've run down that particular segment and see how it actually improves so get on it people and join up to the um, the I Am Talk group Okay, questions and answers and Vicky Jones sent through which is giving Iron Man some love here she's saying you mentioned Iron Man career and I wanted to give you a bit of love now what happened on my career the, the swim was cancelled no the whole race got cancelled that's right If uh, this is the email we had after the race cancellation in addition uh, when I contacted to say that I was in Wales based I was Wales based and couldn't do the races offered they allowed me to transfer for free to a 2020 race of my choice uh, there, there were communication issues but I really think that the response was above and beyond so basically well, they, gave you, they gave you a bunch of choice so career got cancelled and they said option one you can uh, transfer to a select number of races and so, uh, the problem they've got with career is there's not that many races no, around yeah. so it's things like Louisville but there was other races that were in that sort of neck of the woods then option two was you could get a 40% discount off next year's Ironman career I'd probably like to see that percentage a little bit higher but yeah. you've got so many costs involved they would have incurred yeah, the majority of their costs, so they're, they're losing out on that. Uh, and then you also, everybody got a free entry into the Singapore Marathon, um, which was great. Oh, cool. And then everybody who was entered in the race was still in the draw to win the Kona slots. So again, I don't have a problem with that when shit hits the fan and they go, well, we've got 30 Kona slots, so we're going to go to athletes anyway. Um, so in that case, I don't have a problem with that. So good on Ironman for, for doing doing a, a pretty bloody good job there in terms of... And also um, showing a bit of personal touch here because she was saying because she was in Wales, mm. it wasn't really working for her and they, they actually were just a bit more human about it. Mm. You know, well, instead of saying, well, I've got this role, yeah. it's like, you know what, we can make this work for you. So well done to Iron Man on that one and Vicky's just giving you a bit of love there. James Thomas, the Red Rockets, got here. Listening to this week's show, uh, should legacy athletes start with and get awards? In Kona. Cause in Kona. Uh, and we talked about this. We um, did last week. So the, the rule was last week they were saying if you're in the legacy wave or the Kukui wave or whatever it was called um, at the end, then you're not eligible for age awards group awards. or age group, yep. And rent time, John. If ex-pros can race as age groupers and people can have to suck it up, then surely if you get beaten by a legacy athlete, then suck it up. My thing with this, John, is I don't reckon many athletes in legacy are going to be competitive. No, and I think that's the thing. So why have a rule that's going to annoy people when... Because if you're a legacy athlete and you can beat 
begin the podium in Kona. I'd say, yeah. You, you, you would have qualified. And I did say that last week, oh, maybe if you were fifth place and you got beaten by somebody who started half an hour behind, maybe you'd feel a bit of grief. But then I've actually thought about it a bit more and I think you just, as James said, you just got to suck it up. If somebody who's done 12 Ironmans or more and hasn't been able to qualify then gets up there and beats you, I think, suck it up. Agree but, with you, James, on this one. But also, the, 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 the legacy person doesn't get the award. Well, they don't at the moment, but that should change. But, oh, you, but you think? Yeah. Well, if you guess, there's going to be some slight variables in terms of you're out there 45 minutes later that might have advantages and disadvantages. The only time I see it being a thing is when you get the really old athletes. The thing is, it's not going to be a thing because, as you pointed out, yeah. legacy athletes are not going to get in the top five. And if they did, there's, you've you've really have, you must have had 12 bouts of bad luck. Well, the only time it could get in is when you get to the 88 age group. You might get a legacy right, athlete. True, fair point. Where you know what that age can just happen, mm. you know. But still, I think it's such a small issue. Uh, yeah. We're discussing it, and it just seems like a an odd rule that I don't think anybody would complain about it if it was the other way around, and if you did include legacy athletes in the in the podium. Odd one. It is an odd one. Uh, Duncan Penfold just sent through received an email from Athlinks and recall an athlete receiving a six-month ban for doping violation related to the use of CBD product. Might be nice to remind the punters about this, especially given your stance on doping and previously relationships with athletes. So basically, athletes had an ad promoting uh, CBD oil, which is basically oil that comes from cannabis, and it's a bit of a murky water for athletes right now with this, isn't it? And it is. You've got to be so careful. That's one of the things I love about extreme endurance is you've got um, that sort of, in terms of their extreme endurance product and the immune boost, it's got the the tick on it in terms of being uh, tested and certified as being legit. When you are taking anything else outside that hasn't been tested, as Bevan said, uh, and this is going to vary from country to country, so you do need to be extremely careful. And the, the instance that D- Duncan brought up was, there was a recent case where somebody had used a female pro had used or claimed to use some sort of treat, uh, CBD treatment on a, an ailment in her leg I think it was um, and then claimed that that was the reason for testing positive whether that's true or not we get all sorts of claims from people eating bloody different tainted meat etc but that was uh, the argument she was she was presenting um, so you just you've got to be bloody careful I don't know if, if um, you know Again, as I said, it's going to vary from country to country. So. What's happening in like like Canada, where like cannabis is now legal, mm-hmm. with performance enhancing? I do not know the answer to the question to that one, um, but I would imagine that you can't take it. So even though it's legal, it's still performance enhancing. And so to give you another but example, is, it, is cannabis performance enhancing? Well, it depends which, yeah, it's on the banned list anyway. Uh, there was other examples previously, and I don't think this still applies, but way back in the day, you had to be really careful of your coffee intake. So there was a caffeine limit how okay. much you could take. So co- coffee is perfectly legal to have, but yeah. only up to a certain threshold. Because so, there was a snowboarder who got banned, wasn't he? And he mm. was just recreationally smoking dope with his mates. Mm. Murky water, right? Yeah. Well, again, because it's going to depend what sport you're looking at, and they have a canvas rule for everybody. So, for some sports, it's going to be a uh, it's going to be an inhibitor. For other sports, you could say it's going to be an advantage. Yeah, interesting times. Have you tried CBD oil? I have not. Oh, I'd be interested to see what it's like. Um, John, we've got some new patrons, so let's give them some love. I, I think I've got one for the first one. Uh, okay, go for it. Matthew Sheaf, isn't it? Matthew Sheaf, I'd say. Sheaf. I was going to say the hustler. The hustler. Uh, no, here's how I got to this. Yes. I thought the last name, and I didn't even get it right. So what is it? Sheaf. I'm, I'm thinking it's Sheaf. S-H-E-A-F-F. Sheaf. Okay, Matthew Sheaf. Love your work, Matthew. And then I thought Matthew Hussey, the cricket player. Right. <laughs> don't know where I went with that. Yeah. 
great, a great Australian cricket player. Well, Matthew's a Kiwi, so don't go. No, but then uh, just Hussey, and then I thought Hustler. The Hustler. Is, do you know Matthew, do you? No, but I know he's a Kiwi. Oh, great guy. Yeah. Great, great guy because yeah. he's a Kiwi. <laughs> Matthew, you better be watching the All Blacks bend the palms on Saturday night. The Hustler. Yeah, that's a good one too, isn't it? It is great. Okay. Great. Who else we got here? Anna Domopoulos. It's got to be something around a dinosaur, doesn't it? <laughs> Does it? Well, I was thinking Anna Kornikova, the, the great tennis player. Um, she wasn't that great. She was okay. She, she was. She won nothing. She was still pretty good. She, she was, was a top not, She was just hot. She was. She was. She was that. <laughs> she was not. She was like. Your career is not something stellar. But okay. she, 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 she was. a would say Anna Kornikova, the good tennis player. I'm gonna just see how good she was. Anna Kornikova. Okay, here we go. This, Anna Kornikova. Here we go. Here Crikey. we go. We are we, walking on thin ice right now, John Newsom. How old do you reckon Anna Kornikova is? Well, isn't she married to um, the singer um, Iglesias? Julia Iglesias. I've got no son. idea on that. Um, okay, I'm gonna say she'd probably be about now 38. Bloody hell! Bing. Correct. Yes. She's born on the seventh of June. Okay. June, how many tour titles did she win? I'm gonna say she won two tour titles in her life. Um, not 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 Grand Slams. She wouldn't have won a Grand Slam. So her Grand Slam singles record. She made the quarterfinals in Australia in two hundred one. French uh, semi-finals at Wimbledon nineteen ninety seven. U.S. Open. Yeah, she only got to the fourth round in the French Open. The U.S. Open. Um, Tour titles two. I'm saying maybe not even that. It's only really got a Grand Slam stuff there. Well, how do you spell her name? Anna Kornikova. Oh, it'll, it'll come up. You put it up there. It'll, it'll come up. Uh, in 1998, Anna Kornikova broke into the WTA's top 20 rankings for the first time um, when she was ranked number 16th. So she was awesome. <laughs> it started the season in 1999. Kornikova advanced the fourth round of the singles, being beaten by Mary Pierce. This, we have had a gold podcasting day. No, oh, but wait a second. How many, how many has she won? She withdrew from 12 tournaments in 2001. 2002 was uh, she reached the semi-finals in Auckland in 2002 yeah titles 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 career wins highest she did go oh no she got to number one okay she got to number one in the world did she I don't think she was that good <laughs> 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 a squeaky voice uh, <laughs> did she yeah okay, so are we okay what, see, career titles go? two I just unnailed this. Good. And it wasn't even on the highest level. So she won two ITF, International Tennis Federations. I, I, I obviously know my Anna Kornikova. <laughs> she won two titles in her career. So I would say a good, not a great, not a great she, She's a legend. <laughs> she goes down, she reached a legendary status. Uh, so we're going to call Anna... Domalopolis, the uh, the dinosaur, or no, you can't call it the dinosaur. <laughs> but something along the lines of dinosaur. We've got Diplodocus is already gone. Um, so Andrew Kerr, Diplodocus. Um, T Rex is already gone. We've used up our popular dinosaur <laughs> names already. Pterodactyl. <laughs> no, that doesn't roll off. What about we say the tour champion? Tour champion. Yeah. No, I'm just thinking tennis line now. You've got me on in a corner corner verse. Um. Um, what's a, what's the nickname for a dinosaur? Dino, the last dinosaur. Dino, Dino, Dino. Dinosaur nicknames. Dine. Uh, this is, we are on fire today, John. There's no no, no denying it. Dinosaur nickname. So you got Tyrannosaurus. You got Diplodocus. You've got the Velociraptor. You got Spinosaurus. You've got. Uh, 
Oh, the theropods. They were fast. Okay, there you go. Theropod. Theropod. Yes, that sounds cool as well. Yeah. There yes. we go. We got there in the end, Anna. Yeah. Theropod. Yeah, we found out about Anna. It's called Konakova's average career. Yeah. <laughs> Anna Theropod. Demopolis. Awesome. Well, Greek? You tell us, Anna. <laughs> yeah. I'm not very good with origins anyway, no. but... We haven't done... Uh, Anna, we love you. And, and Matthew. The hustler in the, in the... How do you say it? Theropod? Yep. Legends. So, guys, um, by contributing and being a patron of the show, it ensures we get to Kona every second year, um, and we take a uh, patron winner. So, if you want to hear from us in Kona next year, support the boys getting over there and doing what we do and getting all that sort of great pre-race and post-race coverage, um, make sure you get on board, become a patron. Five bucks a month is like a bloody coffee a month. Uh, Ten bucks, you get an I Am Talk swim cap. If you come in at 20 bucks a month, then you get a swim cap and uh, I Am Talk a beanie, uh, icebreaker beanie, to keep your little noggin warm during your winter training. So check it out, imtalk.me, and support the boys getting to Kona next year, and uh, also your weekly listening. We didn't do extreme endurance, Bevan. Oh, um, let's we do had it. an email in from Stuart Mills, Quantum Leap. I don't think we mentioned this last week. That's a great name. Um, so Quantum Leap, Stuart Mills supports the show. He had uh, heard about his mention on the show last week, and thanks for the V dot prediction. He was going off and did the Berlin Marathon. Um, and he packed in the extreme endurance we mentioned a few weeks ago, uh, and that gave him the uh, added boost he needed. And he went on and ran a 2:41:35 to win the 55 to 59 age group in Berlin. That's smoking fast. 2:41:35 for good. a 55 to 59 year old. Wow, that's impressive. Rightly winning that. Uh, the extreme endurance and the Nike Vaporfly Four shoes both did the trick. Next marathon, London, April 2020. Hopefully, more quantum leaping next year. So, guys, um, extreme endurance can give, give you that nice little boost in the final weeks uh, going into an event particularly a running race where your legs just take an absolute beating it's going to mean you can get back qu- uh, quicker and I distinctly remember when I did my two marathons uh, years ago was uh, first one wasn't on the extreme endurance had a terrible run could hardly walk afterwards um, for a good week second one absolutely smoked it and by Wednesday I was already running the kids uh, to preschool back then god it was a long time ago uh, so get check it out xendurance.com and help yourself to your fast running performances like Stuart Quantum Leap did yeah, it's awesome. What an effort. I want to try those shoes. Yeah, that's a whole other argument. The new shoes, that, that, that's not the, the Vaporflies ones. They're not the ones that... Um, the, well, the, the, the version of it. Right. I think not the first version. Yeah. Not going around. It doesn't, it doesn't seem right, does it, when you can start adding all these little bits and pieces in? But yeah, I suppose, but that's, that's humanity, that's humanity yeah, isn't it? Yeah. You know, because you could argue... Well, you're wearing shoes. Yeah. <laughs> We've got swim skins and, and tri, and tri and, racing and bikes. now. And bikes. Um, and, yeah, bikes change, but... Would you would you want to get a pair? Um, of course, I'd be keen to have a look at them. They're not cheap. No, no. But I, I'd love to give them a go. Shoes you know do not last very long anymore. Oh, those ones won't have much life. God, I just go through because I wear shoes out on one toe. Rest of your shoes in perfect condition, and just one toe. I've got like three pairs of shoes at home. They look perfect, and there's just one toe. And if I could just swap shoes around a little bit, it'd be sweet. Mm, if only, John. If only, Joe, guys. If you want to support the show, go www.talk.me, and you can just be a supporter and a patron of the show. It's all very obvious on their web page. Uh, sponsors: Extreme Insurance, Your Acting Buffer, Generation You Can. And you, what do you say? If you want to make try something new in your training, make it you can. Uh, also. If you want to get the show emailed to you, go to www.talk.me down the bottom of the page. You just put your information in there. 
here. If you want coaching, go to coachjohnnewsome.com. He's still got spots available there. Get filled up. I've got one spot left available. Team, get in quick. He's a great coach. Uh, if you want to check out my podcast, bevanjamesisles.com, uh, other content, age group of the week, cool websites and other feedback, Podcast at gmail.com. John, you goss. What's my goss, Bevan? Um, so we had, uh, I was race directing on Sunday, as I said earlier, it was a Porno was, Porno was doing it. He was. I didn't actually get to see him after the race, so I'm not sure how he got on. Um, but it was a beautiful day. Beautiful. We had to cancel this race earlier in the year, and then we put it on, and it was just the most amazing, fantastic day. Sunday. Oh, Sunday was a great day, wasn't it? So that was good, but it was a long day when you're getting up at 3.30 and uh, making your way through the day. But Did I was you have a nap do that. when you were home? No, it did not. So I had to get the results ready, and then we had the series prize giving and what have you. What time so, you get home? Uh, for that one, I got home at maybe about one o'clock, but then I had to sit down and do the results, and then the prize giving was at four, so it was pretty much a full day effort. Where did you do the prize giving? We did it at the Fairmead Good Home. And did many people come? Uh, yeah, we would have had, we had a good good size there. Okay, yep. that's good. So it was all good. Yep. So that was my sa- Sunday. Saturday was a lot of white rugby watching. Watched both games. Um, and just the palms are big, aren't they? Yeah, big and ugly. Oh, they're totally ugly as well, are they? Yeah, yeah. The palms are going down. And that was about the extent of my weekend. Running's not quite going where I want it to be, to be honest. You got so, the half marathon coming soon, haven't you? Yeah, in a few weeks' time, I'm not, my my levels of optimism uh, diminish a little bit, and I'm I'm shifting the goalposts in the the, the direction you don't want to be shifting oh, them. Why? So uh, I haven't been getting enough training in. Um, why? And, uh, just prioritising things in different areas. So probably getting enough just just enough running in but then I have these curveball weeks you know going up to Kiteria and stuff and that sort of throws things off but I think I'm just getting enough running in but it's the other stuff that I'm not getting in so in terms of doing more flexibility work making sure I get my core conditioning so this morning I elected not going swimming um, I normally swim on a Tuesday morning and decided to get up and do an hour of yoga rather nice. than uh, going swimming because I thought that's going to help more than sort of boosting my fitness with swimming. So it's always a challenge when things aren't quite going to plan and your goal's sort of slipping a little bit and there's only so much you can do. But I'm staying positive. And What's the goal for the rest? Well... I was in good run shape earlier in the year in April and I did a 15k race then, averaged 3.30 per k, which was a bloody good run for me. And so I was sort of hoping to be pretty close to that sort of shape, um, but I don't think I will. So if I can average between 3.35 and 3.40, I'll be pretty happy. And when I compare that to the good old marathon I talked about just earlier, I'm not quite the same shape, but that was quite a few years ago. Mm. So... Training needs to just get a bit of a rig along the next few weeks. Bevan, what about yourself? Are you going to watch the rugby at home or are you going out to meet friends? Uh, haven't even made plans for that yet, so don't know. Hmm. Got to utilise my Sky Sport that I paid, my Spark Sport <laughs> that I paid for, so most likely at home because I think the kids kind of want to stay up. Fair enough, fair enough. It's a big game. Bevan, what's uh, happening? We had Porno's dessert night. Right. So Porno has an Is that on Saturday? Yeah. Did that, that must have had an impact on his race on Sunday. Not that I know how he went, but... I uh, don't know, but the, the food selection was sensational. Mm-hmm. Oh, John. Mm-hmm. I love a chicken nibble. Yeah. Do you love a chicken nibble? Is that thing you said dessert night? Yeah, I know, but I'm getting into that. I'll get to that. It's okay, the chicken nibbles. Uh, you mean uh, on the bones and like yeah. a chicken wing? Oh, it's okay. I, I, yeah, it's okay. Oh. I love chicken. Mm-hmm. So chicken nibbles and then some of samosas and stuff. So and there was chips and beautiful dips and stuff and all that mm-hmm. beforehand. And uh, so that was good. And then dessert options. Oh, someone made these little, little like bite-sized little peanut butter cheesecake. Mm-hmm. Peanut butter anything. Yeah, yeah. Peanut butter is amazing. I'm not so big on peanut butter and desserts, but yeah. Oh, John, you you need to try this. Okay. Peanut butter cheesecake. Oh, yeah. yes. And then uh, someone made an ice cream cake. Mm-hmm. Ice cream cake. Yeah. 
It's like when you five-year-old birthday party. Ice cream cakes. But that delivered. And then someone brought some cream and um, 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 caramel sauce. And, and they bought like this, um, you know, like soft cookies. So like what? Soft cookies. Right. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cookie yeah. And co- chop them up. Oh, John. <sighs> what did Joe make for your behalf? Oh, we had savoury. Joe made, oh. Joe made like um, little things. Yeah, <laughs> they were lovely. Uh, so we had that. I had a really big eating weekend actually. Because what would we do Friday night? Oh my, my brother. Did you track it all in your tracker? I did actually, and because <laughs> normally, normally in my life, Friday is my eat shit day. Yeah, because it's my day off work. So I, I realized my breakfast. Because breakfast, what I do is I have muffin splits. The the uh, muffin splits with mm-hmm. sultanas. I love them. Mm-hmm. I have fifty grams of butter. Turns out my yeah. breakfast is a bit too bad on a Friday oh. night. Yeah. So, so next week I'm going yeah. to instead of having six pieces, I'm going to have four pieces. Yeah. Uh, and then normally we'll go out for lunch. And I normally have a big lunch on a Friday. So normally we'll go, like, I'll get a big burger. We'll go out for you know lunch and I'll have a burger. And I'll go cray cray for lunch. And then I pretty much have like a soup for dinner. So I have a pretty low soup. But I had big big lunch. And then we had the, the birthday party for my nephew. Mm-hmm. Went cray cray there. Dear. Then cray cray Saturday night. I wasn't going to say that. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, the indentation in that According couch. to My Fitness Pal, and then Sunday, Jeff's gone back overseas. So we had a barbecue there. Way too much food. Sunday, if I keep running that diet, John, yeah. I'll be up to 90 kgs in the next kind of six months. <laughs> so I can get away with two bad days. So I normally have a big bad Friday. And then Saturday night, because you always have well, Saturday night, mm-hmm. let myself go a bit cray cray. Mm-hmm. I can't have three, John. Can't have three. And this is the other big thing. Sorry to take it back to a serious note. No. Everybody is so different. So if some people did what you do, they would just balloon, whereas oh, really? you can handle it. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing. It's so easy to be critical of people that maybe struggle with their weight going, oh, they're just they're not eating healthy. But so, there's so many other factors going into well, it. Well, and yeah, I am very lucky. If I, I could, fr- Friday, although I don't, once I get past lunchtime, I, I pretty much don't eat anything. Um, but in Saturday night, I always, you know, if it's a function, I'm the, I'm the kind of person who goes all out of the function. Sorry, you're right, yeah. I, I go all out, <laughs> yeah. yeah, to my detriment. When I put on my weight, it is completely my fault for being a pig. There's no, yeah. If I ate sensibly all the time, I'd be just fine. So I have probably I have three moments in my work where I go a bit cray-cray, mm. but I can get away with that, mm. you know, because most of the time I'm exercising a lot and I eat pretty well outside of that. But yeah, definitely this weekend, I had four moments, John. Mm. So as you can see, I've put on a lot of weight. This wasn't going to say anything. Well, anyway, this weekend, oh, rugby, go to the All Blacks. Go Come the on, All Blacks. Blacks. Come on. Mm. Labor Day? Labor Day, great. Yeah. Yeah. Day off day. work. There we go. Let's get out of here, John. Iron Russ. Oh, no. Train hard. Train smart. Kick, Kick up. up.